I mean, let's be honest, in, in our culture, particularly the 20s, there's a lot of negative pressure not to be in law enforcement, not to be associated with law enforcement, which, which is the same, because I think a lot of problems we have in our communities, because our law enforcement as a general, they don't look like our community, and there's just a disconnect. And the, and the only way we're going to connect is to get more minorities uh, in law enforcement. listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue Podcast is Dale Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready. The Black and Blue Podcast is coming at you right now. What's going on, y'all? Welcome to the Black and Blue Podcast, where we celebrate diversity in U.S. law enforcement. Y'all know me. My name is Dale, and I'm the host. Thank you for dropping in and hanging out with me for a little while, because I got a real good one for you today. So get ready for that. But before we dive in, let me ask y'all to first click those like, subscribe, and bell icons right down here on my YouTube channel. That really helps out with those YouTube, uh, those YouTube algorithms. So thank you for your support with that. And if you're listening to me on your favorite podcast platform, please rate the Black and Blue Podcast five stars. And finally, check me out on any one of my social media pages for even more content. You can find me everywhere at Black and Blue US. All right, so with that down, let's get right to it. Now, today's guest heads one of the oldest and best kept secrets of federal law enforcement and is here to tell us all about who they are and what they do. So everybody, let's give a big black and blue welcome to United States Postal Inspection Service Chief, Gary Barksdale. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well, Dale. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. So how's your day shaping out today? It's busy, but it's good. It's good. All days are good, you know, these times. Yes, yes. Every day, every day you wake up is a good day, right? It's every day is a blessing as I see it. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, like I mentioned there in the in the intro, that you are the chief postal inspector with the United States Postal Inspection Service. Not too many people know about that, what that agency is, and what they do, and all that. You know, first they hear postal inspection service. They have yeah. law enforcement people. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> why don't you tell everybody a little bit about uh, that, real quick? Yeah, and that was a great intro, by the way, because that's one of the things we're very proud of is that we are the oldest federal law enforcement organization. We're, we're approaching 250 years here real soon as a law enforcement organization. So something that we're very proud of um, in our organization. But you're right. A lot of people don't know at times we were thought of as the silent agency. You know, I'll, I'll start telling you kind of what our mission is and then, you know, dive into that a little bit. Our, our mission, if I was to read it, would be, you know, support and protect the Postal Service its employees and the Postal Service employs over 600,000 people, its infrastructure and all its customers. And it's a massive infrastructure, you know, 32,000 facilities across the U.S. and all the U.S. territories. The second part of our mission deals with really enforcing the laws that defend the nation's mail system. And those are things like drug work. We have a very close 
uh, working relationship with the DEA, HSI, and FBI when it comes to working drugs, but also with a lot of our local partners on drugs. It's been something that we've uh, put a, a lot of focus on recently. And then the third part of our mission really deals with assuring public trust in the mails. And those are things like fake lotteries and sweepstakes and things that come in the mail that are not what they appear to be. Um, so that that's kind of general what our mission is. Our, our, if I was to narrow down on our priorities, obviously workplace violence. Unfortunately, we, we've seen an increase in violence, particularly robberies of our letter carriers throughout the country. Mail theft has risen. I mentioned drugs, you know, ever, ever since the fentanyl epidemic. Uh, and the search kind of online marketplaces. Uh, we put a lot of work in, in drugs, and then always our bread and butter has always been mail fraud cases. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, what we do as an organization, along with a number of other things. Uh, you know, what we call white powder, uh, the infrequent like, mail bombs, and things like that. So, uh, a, a lot of work actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for a time, I worked for uh, IRSCI, and we worked closely with uh, the postal inspectors. A lot in, on the fraud cases and all that. So yeah, like I said, it's, it's a it's a, a best kept secret, but uh, you guys do a, a lot of great work, and you know I appreciate what you guys do. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. So, how, how long have you been with the uh, Postal Inspection Service? Twenty three years. Uh, I think my anniversary was this past March. Marked twenty three years for me with the Postal Inspection Service. All right. And did you start from the from the ground up or? How do you, how'd you get your start? I did. You know, I, I started in law enforcement with the local PD in Chesapeake, Virginia. And I did that for about seven years. And then I started applying to actually a multitude of federal agencies. And I didn't really know a lot at that time about postal inspectors. But as I was going through the application process, obviously, I learned a little more. Um, but I got hired. Uh, I was living in uh, Chesapeake, Virginia, near Virginia Beach. And they moved me to Los Angeles, so my career actually started in in LA, very close to where you are. Okay, okay. So you know a little bit about uh, LA. How, how long were you out here? I was there for about five to six years. It's where I, you know, I was assigned to various teams from mail theft to the time we, we had a huge problem with credit card theft and identity theft. So you know, did a lot of that work out there, and then some of the miscellaneous miscellaneous stuff but i really enjoyed my time in la it was actually one of my favorite places to work in the entire country if it wasn't for the traffic and cost of living i mean it's a great place yeah well you work in dc now right i do i'm at our headquarters obviously in uh, downtown washington dc okay. um, and you know, I've, had, I've had a couple stops in between you know trying to get to the chief you know working for a federal organization some people view it as good some as bad uh but mobility plays a role in your career. And I've, I've moved several times with the government. I've lived in Phoenix for a short stint, Houston. And this is actually my second in uh, Washington, D.C. Okay. And are you, you a family man? I am. Uh, married, two kids. Both are, uh, uh, by age, they're adults, I guess. My daughter's 20 and my son's 25. Um, so uh, almost almost an empty nest. My, my daughter actually is uh, completing her bachelor's. She's still at home. Due to COVID, but uh, other than that, everything's good. Great family, very proud of accomplishments for my kids and, and my wife. You know, she, those those four or five times I moved, she moved all all of them with me. Yeah, with that's a, that's a, what a I was going to ask. Smile. That's what I was going to ask. How how do those all those moves affect uh, the family? Yeah, you know, the first one was the toughest on my wife because I was like I said, I was living in Virginia, but had a pretty good life in which we thought we did. Nice house, great community, and man, when you move from Virginia to California, you get that sticker shock. That was tough. But after that, I, I think the 
family enjoyed our meals. And, and I got some advice from a senior inspector when I, when I first got to L.A. Um, put your family in a nice community and you will be okay. And I did. I actually lived in, in Rancho Cucamonga. And uh, so I had quite a hump. I worked downtown L.A., so I had quite a hump. But the family was in a nice community. The community has grown since I went back a couple of years ago. I was amazed at how much the Rancho area has grown. Yeah, yeah, it has. I'm, I'm close to that area, and uh, it is it has grown. This this whole Inland Empire has grown, as, as yeah. we call it, the the 909. Just uh, we are for for the audience that doesn't know, um, the Inland Empire is usually about uh, in the San Bernardino County, Riverside County, about 30, 45 minutes east of Los Angeles, headed towards you know the uh, Arizona border and all that. So, yeah, yeah. all right, and uh, so so you rise through the Postal Inspection Service. What was that like for you? What what sort of assignments did you did you do and and all that? Yeah, like when I was in LA, I worked a variety of almost all the assignments, and then my first stint in headquarters, I believe, was probably two thousand four time frame. Uh, I spent a couple of years in internal affairs, which was interesting. Um, you know, a lot of people think of internal affairs as only out to get you, and there there were there were some good cases where whether it was a shooting and we were able to clear an agent or, you know, uh, allegation that wasn't true, we were able to clear agent. So really enjoy it. Learned a lot. You learn about, about policy and conduct and behavior. And, you know, basically, without even knowing it at the time, when you work in internal affairs, you, you actually shape your leadership style. Because I was a field guy, thought of myself as a field guy, and, and the particulars of headquarters from a policy perspective, from crossing every eye, you know, I mean, from, you know, crossing every T dot and every I, you, you really learn the importance of those things when you work in compliance or in, in a group like our internal affairs group. Yeah. But from there, I went to, uh, I think my first manager position was I was like an ASAC in Phoenix. And then my first executive role was in Houston. And then I was able to get back to Washington, D.C., which is all extensive purposes is home for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, going back to the uh, Postal Inspection Service's mission, um, you have a real unique uh, mission because every other agency really doesn't have a, a, a revenue-generating component, uh, dealing with the civilian component, uh, all that sort of stuff. How is that relationship between, you know, the civilian side, the, the actual, I don't know what you guys call it, the postal side, as opposed to yeah. your mission? Yeah, you know, uh, at times it's very good, you know, particularly the things we do for them in addition to, you know, protecting our letter carriers, protecting our facilities, protecting our infrastructure, whether it's physical infrastructure or, or cybersecurity um, type work. We also support them very heavily in national disasters, for instance. You know, we come in doing hurricanes and floods. And out in California, I'm sure you're very familiar with, with wildfires, whether it's, you know, assessing a facility or closing a facility. So. Uh, those type of things, very, very good. But when you're attached to a business, you know, everything's attached to return on investment. And so there's some, there are times there, there are challenges there, but our, our new Postmaster General, Louis DeJoy, is very good. He's, he's a business guy. He's very reasonable. So right now things are really good. Yeah, so he would be like into, say, like the Treasury Secretary. You know, he'd be the yes. overall head. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it, it's important that people realize, and it's like that in every, every level of law enforcement, you know, even the local PDs, you know, you've got your mayors and your city council that you got to contend right. with as right. well. So it's, it's like that at every level. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I guess the good news, particularly right now with Lewis at the helm is that we're one of the few law, federal law enforcement agencies 
that's not appropriate. Our, our salaries and our, our line budget, our operation budget, our capital budget, all is paid from revenue from the Postal Service, which can be good and bad, obviously. But uh, I don't have to go to Congress and beg for money to do things to buy equipment. It's, it's a matter of convincing my boss and the Capital Investment Committee. So it, right. it feels a little different than most law enforcement organizations. Because, you know, as a law enforcement guy, you're not used to making a business case. Uh, but I've right. been able to do it and fare very well. Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah, yeah. Sticking on that on that subject, you know, about, uh, you know, your budget being from the revenue of the Postal Service, how does, you know, 2022, you know, and everything on you know, this new millennium that we're in kind of affect the Postal Service with, you know, you've got, uh, you know, your competitors and FedEx and UPS and, and Amazon and all that and, and the Internet in general, you know, how, yeah. does that affect the revenues of the Postal Service and thereby, you know, you guys' salaries? It, it, well, thank God it doesn't affect our salaries, but inspectors by, by statutory bylaw suit have paid comparability. So my post inspectors will always be paid at the rate that uh, other federal agents are paid. However, it does affect the bottom line of our budget, but the, the Postal Service is, is growing, and, and I think it's uh, certainly brighter times in the future for the Postal Service. The Postal Service is embracing the package business, you know, a lot of people thought the internet would be the end of the postal service. It turns out it's going to be the new beginning for the postal service because of the package business. And there are many plans, um, you know, the postal service calls delivering for America plan, which is, is, is a very long plan, but it's really uh, designed to put the postal service on a secure financial footing. Yeah. Yep. And earlier you mentioned, you know, you worked for IA uh, for the internal affairs uh, component. Uh, but that was strictly for the postal inspection service. Do you do investigations on internal postal employees as well, or how does that work? No, you know, I, you know it's funny you ask that, and a lot of people get us confused. So we're, we're the postal inspection service, but the postal service also has a postal service office of inspector general, and it hadn't always been like that. When I was in internal affairs is probably when the tra real transition occurred, which would have been approximately 2007, uh, where the Postal Service OIG, they now uh, investigate all what we call internal cases. So employee theft, employee misconduct are all investigated by the Postal OIG and everything external, uh, with the exception of the Postal Inspection Service, we do all the assaults, all workplace violence incidents. Gotcha, gotcha. And and that's uh, another thing, you know, that's unique about you know, the postal inspectors that, is that uh, most federal agencies won't handle things like, uh, you know, assaults and robberies yeah. and, and burglaries and things of that nature. So you, you get a lot of, uh, you know, police work as well as, you know, your, your high-level federal cases too. Yeah, and it's, it's difficult because, you know, as you know, a, um, an assault with little or no injuries is very difficult to prosecute federally. So we rely on our state and local partners a lot. We have a very good working relationship with most of all of our state and local partners and we need that uh, to complete our mission because some of those assault cases a lot of our robbery cases we don't actually prosecute federally we will if we have to uh, prosecute them through the state yeah yep and uh, so as an african-american uh, leader in your in your agency uh, what what's that been like for you are there many african-americans you know, I, I will say my experience of, you know, I, I interviewed, I'm, I'm sure you know, one of your inspectors uh, last year on a show that I did. And I, I've found that, you know, there's a, a pretty high contingent of African-Americans and minorities in the Postal Inspector Service. What's what's your feeling on that? Yeah, I mean, 
it depends on how you look at it. You know, it's one of those things, glass half full or half empty. Certainly, comparatively to other law enforcement organizations, our ratio of African-Americans, minority of women is probably right on line or better than most. Uh, but I'm still not sure, still not satisfied that we still reflect the communities we serve. So I think there's still work to be done. And, and how would you kind of increase those numbers? You know, it's tough now because, uh, you know, one of my challenges is, is recruitment. And uh, so we are working through it. We actually, uh, we have a new initiative. Uh, we'll call it three hours recruitment, relocation and retention. And I've assigned an executive to oversee it. Uh, we've just closed our hiring portal. We revamped that process to be a more thorough process to help us get through the applicants quickly. And then we put a lot of effort on where we're recruiting. You know, in the past, we primarily relied on word of mouth and you know, we don't have the name recognition of some of the other three letter federal agencies. So that just wasn't cutting it. So, you know, we're doing more career fairs, uh, getting to some HBCUs, um, connecting to some other organizations. One of the ideas we have is to go to the Greek community and ask for their best, you know, so a lot of things in the works, but we recognize there's more work to be done to, to uh, maintain a diverse workforce. Yeah. And w what about women in the workforce as postal inspectors? Yeah, women, women are always a challenge. Again, you know, comparatively, we're, we're doing very well. You know, when I, when I say go through the Greeks, but we talk about the Soros too, we, we, we certainly want to increase our female population. I think the biggest challenge with females, not necessarily in the general population, and, and when I'm talking about inspection service, I just want to be clear, I'm talking about more than just post inspectors. We have, we have a really awesome support team and an incredible forensic lab in Dallas, Virginia. We have general analysts. We have what we call our STSs, our, our, our tech guys that can do the undercover cam, um, cameras, physical security specialists. We, uh, you know, a lot of jobs. So I'm, I'm talking about in general. Um, so from a female perspective, you know, we look pretty good. The challenge is uh, females in leadership, and part of that yes. challenge is mobility. Right, we're a federal organization. I've moved four or five times, and sometimes that can be tough on on some of our females. It's tough on some of our males now because the the, the newer recruits we're hiring are not as excited about moving them. I mean, people want what they want and they want to be where they want to be. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough road to, to go down because, uh, you know, in, in general, in law enforcement, you know, it seems like the newer generation of recruits uh, don't have the same sensibilities that you and I did. And uh, so you got to kind of cater to that a little bit. And uh, so, so how does that, yeah, work? that when, when you guys get hired, are you told you're going to be at a certain duty station? Say, like if you're if you're applying here in LA and you got to move to Alaska, how, how does that work? Yeah, you know that's changed, and we continually change it based on, on the need. Twenty three years ago, when I got hired, you you signed up basically saying I go anywhere in the U.S., which includes the U.S. territories of Guam and, and Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands, and that that worked for a while, uh, and I think it was a good policy. But uh, now our current policy. See, uh, generally, when we make you the offer, we tell you where you're going. And that's a recent change. As I said, we just closed our hiring portal. But the prior portal, we allowed you to pick three locations and we tried to accommodate you. Uh, but it just became just a massive headache. So so now we're requiring people to be willing to go anywhere. We still will try to accommodate you. Um, but the need of the organization, we have to put that first. There, there are some locations we're struggling to get people. Los Angeles is one, New York. Uh, really? The larger cities. Yeah, the larger cities with very high cost of living. And coupled with the fact there are other high paying jobs in LA. You know, 
we want to put an inspector in Alabama. He, he's going to be very highly paid to live in this state. Um, but that same salary is not as great in, in Los Angeles. Is there any sort of, because uh, I, like I said, when I worked for IRSCI, you know, there was a lo- locality um, bumps for, you know, for yeah. living in L.A. as opposed to in Alabama. We do. We do have the locality pay. And, and obviously, L.A., Chicago, and New York, they're at the highest locality pay. And I think that what helped us uh, prior to today's time. But even now, we're seeing that it's, it's still a struggle in some of our major cities. Uh, so, you know, we have some initiatives. We're, we're trying to recruit locally. We're, we're trying to grab, you know, some of the local PD guys and uh, specific focus on military guys who, in general, the military population are more willing to move or to be relocated because they've done it with the military. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of uh, recruitment, what, what what does it take to be a postal inspector? Yeah, so we actually, you know, it's, I feel like we keep changing everything, but we have to involve as an organization. Up until this last portal open, we, we, we didn't have a physical fitness test, so we're very excited about our physical fitness test. So we have a we have a light physical fitness test. I think it comprises of a couple exercises, a mile and a half, some sit-ups, some push-ups. That's all. So, so nothing heavy. Outside of that, uh, we do give preference uh, to a certain um, experience level. Obviously, military, looking for accountants, cyber experience, and law enforcement experience in general. And I believe accounting um, have to be 21 U.S. citizen, all, all the normal stuff. And we still currently have a four-year degree requirement. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Is it, uh, is it uh, in a certain discipline that you need a, a four-year degree or just any four-year degree? No, currently right now, any four-year degree from an accredited college. And, and we do that because we have such a diverse uh, scope of things we look at. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, not a couple of years, ever since the anthrax mailing, we said, why do we need scientists? Yeah. Why do we need people with a biology degree? But our dangerous mail investigative program, program that looks at our white powders, we, we really rely on that discipline. So we're just, we're just all over the place. A couple of years ago, we didn't put a lot of focus on cyber investigations. Now cyber is, is really big for us. Obviously, the Postal Service is one of the largest IT networks in the world. So cyber is very important to us. And we all know it's cyber. It's not a matter if, it's a matter of when your organization yep. will be attacked by cyber criminals. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, talking about all the different assignments that you guys can do. I know, uh, remember back when the, the Unabomber was out, so you deal with, uh, yeah. you know, explosives in the mail. I mean, I mean, what, what, what sort of different assignments are there in inspection service? Yeah, so, you know, obviously our bread and butter always will be mail stuff, our workplace violence stuff, which is our robbers and our burglars. But you're right, we have a number of other assignments that are more specific. Um, the, the bomb guys, we call them our dangerous mail investigations, you know, the acronym DMI. They, we, we send them actually to ATF, helps us facilitate their training uh, in reference to uh, bomb detection and recognition. And then they also get uh, a lot of training dealing with white powders. As I mentioned, ever since anthrax, they have special equipment to be able to go in and test the atmosphere, test the substance, whether it's a liquid or powder, and try to determine um, whether it's harmful or not. Cyber investigation, as I mentioned, is, is, is new for us and is really big for us. Uh, so that's something that's new as well. And then there's also like a new discipline that's that's growing out there, and that's online or dark web investigations. You know, with the with the advancements of the Internet, when I first became an inspector working in L.A., almost all of our cases were domestic, meaning uh, your victim lived in the U.S. and your target lived in the U.S. 
that's not the case now with, with online, particularly our drug investigations. We have people sending drugs all over the world. Um, so uh, it's turning into its kind of own assignment, dark web and online type investigations. Yeah, how would those investigations work if, you're, if your target or your subject is in another country? Do you typically still go and finish that investigation, try to identify them and, and hold them accountable? Yeah, we do. You know, that's one of the things that we're very proud of. I think that's that's kind of unique. I mean, obviously, all federal agencies travel all over the world these days and time, but you know, we, we still try to operate under, you know, you catch them, you clean them, you got to go find them, you got to get them, and, and do everything. And we've have recently uh, made or doubled down on our uh, international partnerships. You know, um, I think about a year or two ago, we actually domiciled an inspector at Europol to coordinate investigations dealing with the European countries. We have an inspector in Germany, and uh, we also have an inspector in Jamaica. You know, we, we see a lot of like telemarketing for our, out of Jamaica. So we actually uh, recently started our own, what we call a vetted unit that's headed by an inspector. We're, we have uh, Jamaican nationals um, working with us and a couple of their task forces in Jamaica working with us to uh, address the telemarketing fraud. Okay. And, and how about an inspector in Nigeria for those Nigerian kings and princes that, uh, <laughs> that send me that, that uh, those, those mailers about, you know, winning a million dollars or whatever, if only they can get my bank account information? Yeah, you know, one, one of my mentors, uh, Dr. Gregory Campbell, who, who's a retired inspector, he actually, uh, at one point we did have someone in Nigeria, and I think Secret Service did too. So we, we have worked in that space. We continue to work in that space. However, we currently don't have an inspector assigned to to Germany. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, yeah. to, to, to Nigeria, but we st we still see it. There's just so many other scams out there, particularly okay. romance scams. We still see them all the place, and it, you, I'm always amazed at the people that fall for them. Some of these are very. I mean, I'm talking doctors and lawyers are falling for yeah. some of these scams. Some some about a desperation, particularly with some of the romance scams. People are just desperate to meet someone, and they just would fall for these scams. Yeah, yeah, that's terrible. That's terrible. And speaking mm -hmm. of romance, not a romance scam, but romance. Uh, how long have you been married? Uh, I've been man. Hope my wife don't listen to this podcast. I I've been married. Uh, I believe more than thirty years. I know my son's nice. twenty five, so about four years before that. So I'm, I'm approaching <laughs> yeah. thirty years. Congratulations, congratulations. So the interview. We, we we might have to edit that out so I can get it exactly right. <laughs> right, right, yeah. See, it's it's just us, Chief. Just us. Don't worry about it. <laughs> what about your kids? Any of them want to follow in Dad's footsteps? You know, you know, my daughter's about to get her bachelor's uh, soon in psychology. I'm not sure what she wants to do. She's an excellent student. She's she's graduated in high school early. She's plowing through college. My fear is she's going to be a career student. My son was in the Army Reserve as an MP. Uh, and I would like him to get in law enforcement, but at age 24, 25, at some time he expresses interest and sometimes, I mean, let's be honest, in, in our culture, particularly the 20s, there's a lot of negative pressure not to be in law enforcement, not to be associated yeah. with law enforcement, which, which is the same, because I think a lot of problems we have in our communities, because our law enforcement as a general, they don't look like our community, and there's just a disconnect, and the, and the only way we're going to connect is to get more minorities uh, in law enforcement. So it's something that, you know, we're working through yet to be seen whether you're actually going to start applying to law enforcement jobs. Yeah. The other very interesting thing about the, what we have now is 
I think right now we have a record number of particularly African Americans that are leading police departments. You look at yep. uh, David Brown of Chicago, a good friend of mine, you know, Washington, D.C. has an African American. I mean, almost all the major cities. So it's almost on one hand, we have made tremendous advancements in leadership roles. But if you look through the rank and files, there's still not enough. Right, right. Yep. And we, we still got a lot of work to do on that. A lot of work to do on that with, with the recruitment and changing the perception of, of law enforcement. Yeah. Now, do you find, though, as a federal agency and all the other federal agencies that maybe you have a leg up uh, as opposed to the municipal agencies? Um, because, you know, let's face it, the municipal agencies are the ones that are, are in the social media uh, in these incidents and, and not so much with the federal side. Yeah, I don't know if I'd call it a leg up. We certainly have the advantage. You know, when you look in, and certainly you know, local police have day-to-day -day interaction with people every single yep. day. Right? Every single day, uh, you know, uh, a police officer is writing speeding tickets is pulling someone over. So, one, they just have so many encounters with, with, with the community. Two is a lot of those encounters, you know, the police officer feels like he's being diligent doing his job, but the citizens seem like, oh, man, I was only 15 miles over the speed limit. You're harassing me, right? So... That, that's a bad mix. So we have that advantage. We don't have those interactions. Generally, when postal inspectors knock on your door, it's either a pretty significant crime from a financial law standpoint or a drug crime. You know, you just receive the, you know, kilo of cocaine at your house. It's pretty serious. So, they're, they're, you know, it's understood that uh, we're there to arrest you and, and why. And it's not one of those, oh, this is petty. If you, if you look at some of the instances that went bad with law enforcement, I remember the case in New York. I think it was over cigarettes, right? So we, we do have that advantage. Yep, yep. And but then again, your agency uh, does kind of deal with the, the general public more so than any other federal agency in that, you know, you have a, the postal side, right? Yeah, on the postal side, for sure, particularly with workplace violence, you know, um, you know, carriers on people don't realize this. If you think of the worst street in America, there's like a letter carrier delivers down that street every day. So on one hand, I'm yep. amazed that we don't have more sense than we do. But we do take them very seriously and try to aggressively uh, investigate and prosecute offenders that would assault or rob or let a carrier. Uh, so we do have that in action. The good news yeah. is I think the community respects the letter carrier, like the community supports yeah. the letter carrier. So yep. uh, that, that helps, certainly. Now, do you find that uh, we we're going back, we were talking earlier about the, the advent of the Internet. And, uh, you know, so nowadays, a lot of uh, the ED, EDT and all those sort of things, you know, uh, food stamps, all that is electronic. You know, they get a card and all that's direct deposit and all that. Uh, so it's not necessarily through the mail anymore, meaning the letter carrier is not carrying that stuff anymore. So are they still being assaulted because those, they're not really carrying those things anymore? Those checks? Yeah, well, we, we have a couple. Yeah, well, one, um, the, we call them the EIP checks, economic impact payment checks administered by, by the government, a lot of those were originally checks and then eventually moved to more online. So we certainly saw an increase in carry robberies when the EIP checks was in the mail stream. But what's in the mail stream now, sometimes some very valuable packages, um, yeah. you know, your Amazon deliveries and, and things like that. And particularly in LA and California, we're, we're seeing a series of um, vehicles being broken into, primarily on the West Coast, but certainly a concerning trend. So we have some things in the works. The vehicle fleet is very old, but I don't know if you've seen it or not, but the post service is committed to replacing its vehicle fleet. So those things will help, but they take time for us to get there. Yep. Yep. 
and uh you know your relationship between you know your competitors uh we were talking about amazon and fedex and ups you know i've, I've noticed that you know when i put an amazon uh order in and sometimes it's the postal service that delivers it yeah it's funny it's uh you know particularly with some we, you know we, we probably use some of their transportation the, the one advantage that the postal service have is, is what we refer to often as the last mile and that's you know, from the delivery vehicle to your doorstep, because we go to every door every day. So certainly we deliver a lot of packages for Amazon, who has their own delivery system now, FedEx or, or UPS. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, you said you started in law enforcement as a police officer. What, what was that journey like for you? What, what made you want to get in law enforcement? Had you always want to be in law enforcement? What, what started that for you? You know, I think I've always had a passion for law enforcement, and that, that probably from stemmed from early TV shows that were cool cop shows, whether it was a, you know, uh, Hawaii Five-O type show or something, or even like a modern day would be like a Miami Vice show. Um, but even Westerns, I always loved Westerns as a kid. So I always had a, an appreciation for law enforcement. And then solely after uh, graduating from Old Dominion University, I, I applied for a local PD trying to figure it out. And, once, once you get in law enforcement, it's really hard to do something else. I, I don't really see myself doing anything outside of the law enforcement spectrum uh, ever again. Yeah, I mean, that that's why I got into it. You know, it's something different every day. You know, it's not really yeah. sitting in the cubicle and, and doing that. So, yeah, I, I, I like those interactions. Right. And, I, and I actually enjoy it. One thing I do miss, actually, when I was a local local cop, I enjoyed the, their interaction. I mean, some were negative, obviously, dealing with the public. Sometimes you got to yeah. go to someone house and it's not pleasant. But I, I enjoyed, you know, driving through the streets, rolling them. I wanted to talk to kids that may have been playing basketball, throwing a football, talking to the community. I, I really enjoyed the community interaction. Yep, yep. And did you come up in Virginia? Is that where you're from? Yeah, I grew up, grew up in Virginia. And uh, most of my adult life was in the Tywater area in Norfolk. We call it Norfolk, Virginia Beach area until the – the job with the inspection service okay yeah 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 all right yeah i got a uh my daughter we're going to be taking out your way in dc here uh next week she's going to be going to howard so she's really excited about that yeah Yeah. so we're going to set her yeah yeah a lot of a lot of good friends that went there it's actually not too far from our office right in the heart of dc so she'll, she'll certainly enjoy it yeah, yeah, she's excited. We're excited to to go take her there and set her up and drop her off and uh, hope for the best, right? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, hope for the best. She'll, yeah, she, yeah. She'll, she'll do well. She'll, yeah, she'll do yeah, well. I, I, I'm sure she was. I'm sure she will. So, um, you know, when you got to the Postal Inspector Service and you decided, you know, this that was a place for you, you, you didn't have any uh, second thoughts to, you know, looking at any other agencies once you got there. That was That was it for you, huh? You know, I think early on I did, you know, early on you kind of figured out because as I said, when I, when I left the police department, I actually applied to a couple of federal organizations. The process for the postal inspectors probably moved faster. Uh, but as uh, I became more senior and as I started to move through the leadership ranks, I certainly uh, I made the right choice in staying. I, I'm very proud of our organization, how we treat our people, uh, not only now, but where we're going in the future. Um, so look back since. But I, I think everybody, when you first, you know, when you come from a local PD, you're not sure what you're getting into when, when you start working for the federal government. But yep. uh, I'm, I'm glad I stayed here. 
and and you moving through the ranks in leadership what sort of uh mentorship did you have did you have people to kind of help you along the way and kind of you know kind of tell you which direction you should be going to, to help help you with that yeah i i think uh Mentorship is, is very important, and we've taken a couple of stabs at it from an organizational perspective to a formal mentor where we have signed senior leaders to mentor folks to an informal program. But certainly, uh, mentoring is very important. I've had probably more so informal mentors from, from previous bosses. I, you know, I mentioned Greg Campbell, but you know, Pete Jagger, who's, who's my, my INC, to my former chief, Kelvin Wright, who's retired from Chesapeake PD, I believe this summer, um, who I remember when he he was uh, in, a, in our traffic bureau for a local PD. To, you know, I'm just watching this guy move from, you know, one day writing tickets, running radar, doing escorts to, you know, as a sergeant, as a lieutenant. And I'm like, man, Kelvin's a captain now, like just just killing it. Um, and, and you know, in Chesapeake, Virginia, Virginia Beach, that's the South, really. You know, so to see him yeah. move through those times certainly was very inspirational so yeah yeah and then uh as a as a an executive uh within law enforcement organization there's uh there's noble as well does that kind of help out with the networking and mentorship yeah so i actually just got back from noble i believe i'm losing track of time uh about two weeks ago i don't know maybe a week ago i was in for they had their annual conference in orlando uh, so certainly I support and participate with Noble. We have Jeff Fobbs, who is the federal liaison, who's an inspector, uh, who certainly participates. Whole Holly Noble keeps me abreast. And then uh, I think it was back in the spring, uh, I did their CEO symposium, which was in, uh, I think it was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So Dwayne Crawford uh, is doing a great job with that organization. And uh Mr. Thomas is the outgoing president, but they've, they've done a lot. They were, they were very instrumental working with the, the administration on the latest executive order dealing with postal reform. So very supportive of Noble. They're, they're doing really, really big things. Yeah, absolutely. And for the viewers and, and listeners that don't know what Noble is, that's the National Organization for Black Law Enforcement Executives, right? Yep, exactly. Okay, yeah. yeah. And, and they and do a good job with mentoring enough, the training, it's not too. Just yeah, surprisingly enough, it's not just uh, African Americans in Noble, correct? That that is correct. I mean, certainly it's primarily African American, but certainly Noble is open to all. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, yep, yep. It, and those their training conference is really good. Yeah. And and Noble embraces what we have to do, particularly as African Americans or any minorities, particularly with women. Noble really embracing the network aspect that you may work for a small police department that may not have resources, but Noble is a national organization with national resources and national connects and they do a good job uh from a networking perspective yep and then so from a networking perspective and we're talking about you know hopefully bringing more minorities into leadership positions uh in in your organization how, how do we how do we do that how, how do you think that uh you can promote more african-americans more latinos more lgbtq people in the positions of leadership yeah, the, the, the key to promoting or to, the key to advancement of any minority group in leadership really starts at the ground level. Because if you don't have a diverse pool to select from, even when I want to make uh, selections, it's very difficult. So yes. I, I, we really have to focus on 
getting our workforce to be divorced. And then, then I think that will go a long way in taking care of itself. The second piece, once you have a diverse workforce, is to make sure everybody has equal training opportunities, equal mentoring opportunities. You know, we place a lot of emphasis on our organization and detail opportunities. How do we make sure that our when we detail someone into a higher level assignment, that those decisions are very transparent and everyone has the same opportunity to be detailed into a higher level position. Yep, agreed, agreed. So what's, what sort of challenges do you see for the inspection service in the future? You know, you know the challenges we've kind of talked about, and that's that recruitment and retention. That, you know, we talked about recruitment, I won't beat that to death, but we're starting to see on retention. When, when I got hired, Generally, when you went to an organization, you stayed, you made a career, you stayed 20 years. We we actually, you know, what comes around goes around. We actually hire a lot of folks from Secret Service, DA, other federal law enforcement organizations. We, we call it our 1811 program, where they're not required to attend a full academy with us if they've attended an academy from another federal civilian law enforcement organization. Um, but in the organization, it becomes a revolving door for a lot. We see people coming and going. A lot of it's driven by location. If, if we're unable to move someone with our current relocation policy, they don't think twice about, all right, I'll just go to another organization and go. Um, so the, the recruitment and retention is, is really one of the biggest challenges for us, for us going forward. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could definitely see that as well. Definitely. So, you know, talking about your career real quick, uh, you know, to get our uh, viewers and, and listeners more feel of what the inspection service does. Talk, talk about an investigation that you've handled in the in the past when you were a line level inspector the kind of uh, interesting case to to give a feel of what uh, the inspection service does yeah well first uh unfortunately it's been a long time since i worked the case. <laughs> i keep saying i'm going to go out and, and, and be on these cases because i was in turn of fails one day's leadership position but you know some of the cases that i'm most proud of you were talking about about, about nigeria and certainly i actually have nigerian friends so certainly i'm not picking on on Nigerians, but at one point I was on a special team that really worked at uh, some issues we were having with credit card and identity theft. So some of those cases uh, were, were really big cases that victims were all over the U.S. and some international international victims. Um, so we do a lot of that. And and you mentioned with some of the sweet stakes fraud and, and scams, some of the cases we worked, uh, our elderly had given their entire life savings to a fraudster. Yeah, um, and we see that a lot, and, and we actually have a have a program there. We actually uh, try to two things. One is we try to get the money back. We try to intercept. We do some some interdictions, trying to intercept the money uh, to get it back to the victim. But more importantly, we have what we call victim service coordinators now, where we really try because a lot of them are re-victimized. And like we go, Mrs. Jones, this was a fraud. Don't send your money. You know, we tell our, our caretaker, they say, all right, we got it. A couple weeks later, we see Mrs. Jones in the post office again trying to mail money orders or some kind of debit card to a fraudster. So we've determined that a lot of these people, they need additional help that law enforcement can't get them. So we have victim service coordinators to try to work with the community uh, from a preventive perspective to, to give them some some help. Yeah, and those, those are real sad cases because they, they prey on those those elderly people and and they tell them you know all sorts of stories you know that their grandson is is in jail they need bail or you know and and then send them uh apple (laughs) apple gift cards to get them out of jail you know it's like uh yep but they you know unfortunately they fall that that that. happened to me you know my my uh, my mother who's 86 received a call saying hey 
you know, your grandson's in jail. He can't make a call. You know, you have to wire some money right away to to get him out. And it was disturbing. It's in the middle of the night. You know, she she wakes up and she ended up calling me. At the time, my, my son was uh, on military leave. I was like, no, I'm pretty sure he's out in the woods camping out. Uh, and we were good. The other big cases that, that we work as an organization I'm very proud of, over the last couple of years, we've had some really good drug cases. I don't know if I should use the word good, but I mean, some really big, <laughs> yeah. um, big drug yeah. cases. We're, we're seeing, you know, kilos after kilo of cocaine coming out of Puerto Rico. And as we speak today, we, we have uh, what we call jump teams down on the southwest border working meth and fentanyl cases coming across the border and then being placed into the mail stream. So people are surprised at the amount of drugs we, we, we seize uh, on, on a yearly basis. I mean, it's just just mind-boggling that uh, there are many drugs. On, on average, we make about 2,000 drug arrests, well over 120,000 pounds of drugs. And, and last year, we, we actually seized close to $40 million in drug proceeds. So, wow. Big, big program enforcement, yeah. Yeah, earlier you were mentioning white powder and fentanyl's a big, a big and dangerous uh, thing that that's going on around nowadays. How do you guys handle it? I know that us on the PD side, when we suspect it's fentanyl, we don't we don't do anything anymore. We we you know we used to test and do all that stuff. No, we none of that anymore because fentanyl's so dangerous. Yeah, so we we've worked with our our forensic lab, and I'm very proud of the folks. We got some really smart people in our forensic lab to come up with fentanyl handling protocols. We also have invested in some technology we call TrueNARC uh, that, that helps a little bit. It's less handling to be able to test. You actually, in most cases, don't have to completely take a substance out of the, the wrapping material. Uh, and then in our opening rooms, we're actually investing in some fume huge hoods, basically to kind of suck up the air so you're less likely to be exposed from uh, fentanyl powder. Yeah, yeah. Uh, those are things that that need to be done because even, you know, a gram or you know even less of yeah, that can. Right. Yep, and of course, we, we, we all, yeah, all of our our drug teams carry uh, Narcan as well. But hopefully, we never have yeah. to use it. I think yeah. we've used it once or twice, not on an agent, but on someone uh, at a house or something, but or a postal employee just having to be in a facility. But certainly, yeah. we have Narcan available for everyone. Yep, we we carry it for uh, on, on my department as well. We carry it, and not only for ourselves, but you know, we're we're using Narcan yeah. on, on the people out there. You know, at least uh, once a shift. It's 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 an epidemic out here in, in Cali, so yeah. it's terrible. It's terrible, and we need to get a handle on that. Yeah. Yep. So, where where do you see yourself in in the next five years? Five years from now. Five years, I, I really see myself winding down. I've, I've been the chief for three years. Certainly, I have two more to go in me. And then, you know, those those last three in that five-year span, certainly will will look to do something different. I've had a tremendous career. Um, I, I wouldn't change very much, much of anything um, as I look back. But everybody has a lifespan and a life cycle, uh, no matter what you're doing. And, and certainly... We have some very dedicated people that can step in my role, uh, which is the good news. And certainly I'm going to give them that opportunity. And, and that three to five year window is, is part of where I'm looking at. 15, you know, man, I hope I'm not doing anything in 15, but but on a golf course. that That's 15. <laughs> now. There, there's that gap between five and maybe 10 that I will likely work uh, after I retire. But 15, I'm, I'm probably done, hopefully. Done, 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 huh? 
Yeah, 15, 15 from now, it'd be nice to just be done. Yeah, yeah, I got you on that. Now, I know in federal law enforcement, uh, at least in the criminal investigator series, that uh, 57 is the age maximum. Uh, that's you know typically when they kick you out. Is that uh, the same for the uh, for leadership? Are you under the fifty-seven rule, or do they give exemptions for for leadership? Yeah, you're right. For for everybody, with the exception of me, as the agency head, I'm, I'm exempt. But for everybody else in our organization, it's fifty-seven, and you know the, we have the ability to extend a couple years. And due to COVID, we actually shut our our training academy down, so we weren't running basic training classes. We actually, last year and the year before, we actually extended quite a few folks, give them a two-year extension to allow them to work beyond the age of 57. But with the exception of me, everybody else, the mandatory retirement age is 57, which I, I'm really surprised that there hasn't been legislation or some kind of congressional look into that. But with the lifespan and cost of living, I'm really surprised that it's still at 57. Yeah, yep. And, and that's why, you know, for, for our viewers and listeners, you have to be at least 37 to start yeah. your career in federal law enforcement so you can at least get 20 years in. Yep. Right. But, but right now, there are some exceptions for uh, our military that we've hired beyond the 37. So um, th there is an exception for our military vets if they qualify. Yep. Okay. All right. All right, Chief, man. Yeah. I, I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing some of that uh, knowledge about the inspection service and all that. But, uh, Hey, you're, you're not done real quick. I got a little something to lighten the load real quick before I get you oh. out of here. That's a little trivia game here for you. And this game is called... Uh, black or blue, 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 black or blue. Come on. All right, Chief, this is my black or blue game. And your game today is movie characters, movie characters. What I'm going to do is I'm going to show you a uh, name of a movie character. And you tell me, is that character a black character in a movie meaning he's a black civilian is he a blue character meaning he's a non-black law enforcement officer or is he black and blue meaning he's a black cop like you and i okay so right. black blue or black and blue easy enough right you should get through this no problems here's, here's your first one how about uh how about uh ricky baker is he black blue or black and blue ricky baker Wait, sir, I'm guessing he's black. I don't think he's he, blue, so I'm just going to go black. He is black. Remember Ricky from uh, Boys in the Hood? Yep, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> there you go. All right. Off to a good start there. How about your next one? How about Martin Riggs? Black, blue, or black and blue? Uh, black and blue. Oh, uh, that would be incorrect. <laughs> that would be... No, uh, oh, <laughs> Martin Riggs from Lethal Weapon. Remember uh, Mel Gibson uh, there. Yeah. Martin Riggs. Yeah. You know, I, I gotta, I gotta move my photo. But I, you know what? When you said Martin, I'm thinking like, I can't get Martin Lawrence on my head. I'm thinking like, uh, <laughs> Marlon totally missed out. Uh, all right, Kent. He may be a part of this, uh, this game that he played today. So keep that in mind. Your next one here is uh, Jack Hoyt. Jack Hoyt. Uh, Jack Hoyt. Blue. He would. What was that? Blue. Blue. That is correct. Yes, he is uh, Jack that, That's one of my favorite veteran. movies. Yeah, yeah, that's a good movie. Yep, yep. So you remember that one right off the bat. How about your next one here? How about Marcus Bennett? Marcus Bennett. Hint, hint. We, we, we're just talking about him. Hint, hint. I'm pretty sure that's black and blue. That is black and blue. 
That's Martin Lawrence from his character on, on uh, Bad Boys. Yep. How you doing well now here? How about uh, Moses Hightower? I'm just going to go black with Moses. Oh, uh, you, you were it's that close. Remember uh, oh, Police Academy? Hightower. Hightower, yep. Black and blue. How about uh, Vincent Hanna? Vincent Hanna. Vincent Hanna. I'm going with just blue on Vincent Hanna. He is just blue. That's from uh, yep. Al Pacino from Heat. Yep. A few more here for you. How about uh, Marcellus Wallace? Uh, I'm going to go black with Marcellus Wallace. Yeah, he is just black. That's Ving Rams in Pulp Fiction. Marcellus. Yep. yep. Good role for there. Yep. That was a great movie. Couple more. How about uh, Stella Green? Stella Green. Stella Green. That's Stella. so familiar. Stella. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm gonna go with just black on Stella, but it could be she a black is, and blue. She is just black. Well, Stella got yeah. her groove back. Yeah. Yep. I didn't know her last name, man. You stuck with her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was. I was trying to steer you that way, Stella. Yep. But uh, <laughs> yes, you. <laughs> Yep, you're doing well here. Uh, how about Alicia West? Uh, I'm going to go blue with Alicia West. She is blue, but she's also black and blue. From the movie Black oh. and Blue. It's a recent movie. Maybe you didn't get around to seeing that one. I, I, have, not, I have not seen that. Yeah, yeah that was uh, Tyrese was in that with her. That was, uh, I think, 2020, you know, during all the, the BLM and all that stuff going on. And I think we've got uh, one more here for you. No, a couple more for you. How about Scott Turner? Scott Turner. Scott Turner. I'm going to go blue. He is blue. From Turner and Hooch. Turner if you remember Hooch, that movie. Yep, yep. With Tom yep. Hanks. And your last one here. I, I hope you get this one. Frank Hughes. I'm Frank gonna... is black. Frank is black. And what? And what? I'm going to give it to you. Come on. Black and blue. He is black and blue. <laughs> From the movie yeah. The Inspectors, you ever seen no, that? No, no, no. You know, I have my own copy. I actually went to the <laughs> premiere of it. Yeah. Did you? How, how yep. accurate was yeah. that? Uh, some parts of it was was, was actually a very very accurate. Actually, they, the, the, not me, but there were inspectors that worked as, uh, I guess, content advisors to to support it. But everything is dramatized, but a lot of it's very yeah. accurate. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, you got more right than you got wrong, so we're going to call you. We're going to call you the winner. Everybody's hands go up. All right, Chief, I appreciate you coming on. How about some uh, words of wisdom real quick before you get you out of here for, for our listeners and viewers? You know, my words of wisdom is thank you very much for what you do. Um in a sense, you're bringing awareness to the issues and challenges we have, uh, not just in the African-American community, but in our communities in general. And I think what you're doing will go a long way to promote what we're doing in a positive way. So I appreciate everything that you do. Continue to do what you do. And hey, when, when you're in D.C., make sure you look me up, man. Maybe we can catch lunch. I know you'll have a lot to do to get your daughter settled at Howard. Yeah. Make sure to look me up. Yeah, absolutely. I will. Thank you, Chief. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, the viewers and, and listeners, I'm sure, enjoyed it as well. I appreciate you. All right. Take care, my Th friend. Thank you, sir. Take care. Yes, indeed, fam. Another great interview with another great law enforcement leader. 
thank you, Chief Barksdale, for taking some time out of your busy schedule to chat with me. You have no idea how much I appreciate it. And if you guys out there appreciated that conversation as well, go ahead and click that like button right down here on my YouTube channel. I rated five stars on whatever podcast platform you listen to me on right now. I'll be back in two short weeks with another great story for minorities and law enforcement. But till then, say it with me, y'all. Stay black and blue. I'll see you next time. Peace. This has been a Major D Entertainment presentation.